I want to do something real quick. Um, I want to ask a question. How many of you here are, are 50 years of age or over? Lift your hands. If you're 50 years of age or over. Actually, I want you to stand up for just a moment. Give them a hand. First thing I want you to know is look around, you're not alone. Second thing I want you to know is how important you are to this house. We need your presence. We need your wisdom. Look at all these young people under 50 years old around you. They need you to mentor them. And that includes me. And I just want you all to know how much you mean to me, how important your presence is to me in this house, and how important you are to this whole house. What would we do without you? So I don't want you to ever think this is a young people's church and it's just for young people. No, no, no. We need you. Something would be missing in this house without you. And I just wanted to take a moment to say that to you this morning. Amen? Thank you. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord today? David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. <clears throat> we are beginning our 21 days of prayer campaign tonight. It will be our 10th 21 days of prayer campaign. And our 10th, our 9th or our 10th one. We've done it every year except the first year. The second year when we did it, it was actually 40 days of prayer. And it was from 5.30 to 6.30 a.m. every morning. How many want to do that? Yeah. Come on, somebody. We did it for 40 days. The first morning, we had 40 people there. The last morning, we had three people there. But you know what was powerful? Those three people didn't want to stop. And it went on for two and a half years. And those three people continued to pray for two and a half years at 5.30 a.m. in the morning. And it changed the spiritual climate of the city of Emeryville. Now, what we have found over the last 10 years is that every time we engage in a prayer campaign, in a sustained campaign of intense prayer, God begins to break through in our midst and in our city in, 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 in accelerated ways. And what we find during our 21 days of prayer campaign is that people get healed. We've yeah. seen cancer healed, blind eyes healed, yeah. angioedema. I'll never forget my wife called a young man on the phone who was in the hospital in Houston, Texas, who had gone blind. Zenaida and the, called. Oh, Zenaida called him. And the doctors could not figure out why. He, he couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. And he was blind. And they had him in there for a couple of days trying to figure out why. And my wife said, call him on the phone. It was Zenaida's brother. She called him on the phone. My wife said, give me the phone. And we all prayed over the phone. It was in the middle of one of our 21-day of prayer nights. It was in the middle of the prayer meeting. And while we were praying for him on the phone, his vision returned. And shortly after we hung up the phone, he jumped out of the bed and started walking around. And he was completely healed. So our God is an awesome God. Now, the question is, why is it that we see an increase of the works of the Spirit of God during, during our 21 days of prayer campaign? And I'll tell you why. Because whenever we do a prayer campaign, whether it's 21 days, 40 days, 10 days, 3 days, whatever it is, whenever we do a prayer campaign, suddenly, yeah. miraculously, a large number of the members of the house start praying every day. I mean, that's it. That's it. Because the majority of us only meet with, we know how to meet with God, but we don't know how to walk with God. We know how to come to the house of God and have meetings with him, but God wants us to keep having the meetings. He doesn't want us to miss the meetings. But God wants us not only to have meetings with him, but he wants us to learn how to walk with him and how to abide with him. And so what I would like to do in this message this morning is I'd like to set the stage for what God is going to do over the next 21 days. And I want to start with the result of what God wants to do through this prayer campaign and beyond this prayer campaign, what he wants to establish in our lives. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Isaiah 4, beginning at verse 4. And this is what the scripture says. 
When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Now, I want to bring a few things to your attention. First of all, when it talks about the daughters of Zion, it is not simply talking about the women in the church. (laughs) Just like when the Bible calls us sons of God, it's not just talking about the men in the church. When the Bible talks about the bride of Christ, it's not just talking about the married women in the church. These are all metaphors that speak of the whole church. And so when it says that God wants to wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion, it means that God wants to wash filth out of his house. You need to look at your neighbor and say, hello, daughter of Zion. Zion. Come on, somebody. God wants to wash away the filth and the blood from his house. And the first thing that God wants us to understand is that not one of us in this place is strong enough to wash away our own filth or purge our own blood. It says, when the Lord has washed away the filth, when he has purged the blood from the house. God is coming to us in a special way, in a unique way in this season. And there's going to be an unusual move of the Spirit of God. And what God is going to do is sovereignly wash away stuff that you've been trying to get rid of for years. Stuff that you've been battling for years and years and even stuff that goes all the way back to your childhood that you've been battling and trying to break through. God says, I'm going to wash it away in a moment and I'm going to purge it away in a moment. In Malachi chapter five, four, chapter 4, the scripture says that he will sit as a purifier and a refiner of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and he will purge them as gold. He will sit, sorry, this is chapter 3. He will sit as a purifier and a refiner of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and he will purge them as gold so that they once more might offer offerings in righteousness. And so the first thing that God wants you to know is that he takes personal responsibility for the cleanness of your life. That is, he has determined that we should be a holy people, but he has also determined that he is the one who makes us holy. Amen. But here's the thing. It says that he will purge it by two things. Number one, a spirit of judgment. And number two, a spirit of burning. A spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Now, this word judgment is scary for all of us, isn't it? Because when God says, I'm getting ready to judge your sin, it means people are about to die, typically, right? But, but there's something that you need to know about this. First of all, the word judge simply means to separate things into two categories. To discern between one thing and another. Yeah. First, in the first day of creation, God says, let there be light, and there was light. But that was not it. He also separated the light from the darkness. That is, he judged between light and darkness. Yeah. Darkness was already there, but God speaks in the darkness and says, let there be light. And now light and darkness exist together. But God will not allow light and darkness to exist in the same space at the same time. And so he separates the light from the darkness. Now, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's because God speaks into the darkness of your heart and says, let there be light. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and following, when he says, The God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has commanded the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to shine in our hearts. In other words, coming to faith in Jesus Christ is a creation event. Yeah. Just like in the beginning God said, let there be light, God sees the darkness of our hearts and says, let there be light. And suddenly the light of Christ begins to shine in our hearts. But then God begins to divide the light from the darkness. Because how many know that after that light begins to shine through your heart, it doesn't mean you don't have any darkness anymore. And what tends to happen, that 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 process that we call sanctification is the process by which God separates the light from the darkness. He says, I've created the light, now come out of that darkness. I've created the light, now let the light shine. I've created the light, now let's remove this darkness from your heart. And so it's a process by which God judges, that is, God separates by identification. There was a young lady that came to our church several years ago who was an exotic dancer. 
And she came to our church and she gave her heart to the Lord. She, she had a genuine salvation experience. The light began to shine in her heart. She began to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And my wife began discipling her. And people kept coming to my wife saying, now you're going to command her to quit her job, right? You're going to tell her to stop these things, right? And my wife said, no, the Holy Spirit's going to tell her in his time. How many know that it's not good for us to try to take the place of the Holy Spirit? We get into legalism when we try to become the Holy Spirit and try to accomplish by command what God will accomplish only by his power. And sure enough, as my wife began to disciple her and her life began to be formed in the image of Jesus Christ, she came to my wife shortly after and said, I can't do this anymore, can I? I think I need a new job, right? I don't feel right about this anymore. And my wife said, I absolutely concur. Let's help you find a new job. And she went and quit that job and moved on, and God blessed her life. I'm telling you that when God begins to separate light from darkness, you don't need anybody to tell you it's wrong. When God begins to separate light from darkness, you don't even need to see it explicitly written in Scripture. Because when God begins to separate light from darkness, he begins to put his finger on stuff in your life and say, this has to go. But Lord, I don't see a chapter and verse. You don't need a chapter and verse. I said, this has to go. But Lord, the pastor hasn't preached about it. I don't need the pastor to preach about it. I said, this has to go. Because when it comes down to it, only God can separate the light from the darkness. And so God says a spirit of judgment comes when he begins to separate things in your heart. When he begins to make a distinction between the clean and the unclean. When he begins to make a distinction between light and darkness. When he begins to put his finger on things in your heart and say, that has got to go. You are done done with that. You've carried it around for too long. Now it's got to go. And when the spirit of judgment comes, we tend to feel overwhelmed because typically the spirit of judgment will come and God will put his finger on something that we're not even willing to give up yet. Something that we're not ready to separate yet. In a place where our will has not caught up with God's will. In a place where our desires are still contrary to God's desires. And God puts his finger on it. And that's the spirit of judgment where God says, I'm separating this. And it causes this inner turmoil on the inside of us. Not unlike Abraham when God came to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering in the place I'll show you. Abraham was conflicted on the inside because he said, I'm not ready to give that up yet, God. I, I don't have a natural desire to get rid of this yet, God. I still love this thing. And and, and God treats us like Abraham by putting his finger on things in our lives that we feel overwhelmed about. I feel powerless. But if it was just a spirit of judgment, then we would feel anxiety indefinitely. But he follows the spirit of judgment by the spirit of burning. And let me tell you what the spirit of burning is. The spirit of burning is the process by which God begins to work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Meaning the spirit of judgment is the process by which God puts his finger on it and says, this has to go. But the minute the spirit of judgment comes, I start praying for the spirit of burning. Meaning I start praying, God, now give me the will to remove this. You work in me to will and to do of your good pleasure. I know that this is not your good pleasure, but God, I am willing for you to change. See, there's places where we're willing and there's, there's places where we're not willing, but we're willing to be made willing. God, I'm not willing to do this yet, but I'm willing to be made willing. So would you come and make me willing? Would you change my will? Would you overcome my will and my desires? And so God begins to purge away and he begins to burn away. And that burning, that spirit of burning happens naturally as we begin to walk with God day after day, week after week, month after month. And the thing that we need to understand about the spirit of burning is that it is not a crisis experience. It is not a deliverance process. It is not a three-step program. The spirit of burning is not when you feel the Holy Spirit at the altar. The spirit of burning is more like a continual flame that God burns in your heart over a period of months and years to purge away some. See, the problem is we want to have meetings with God at the altar, power encounters with God at the altar that we think are a panacea or a cure-all for everything in our lives that isn't right. Just touch me at the altar and bam, and God does that sometimes. But what we need is to learn how to have a daily walk with God and not just a weekly meeting with Him. And most believers have weekly meetings with God, but not the daily walk with Him. 
Pastor Daniel said to me a couple of weeks ago, he said, most believers get all excited when a crisis comes. And they come to me and say, oh, pastor, pray for me. And he says, I always look at him and say, I always pray for you, and I'm not going to do anything different just because there's a crisis. He says, I walk with God every day consistently. So when a crisis comes, I don't do anything different. I just keep on walking with God. And I'll walk right through this crisis. And I'll walk right through the next crisis. I know that I'm going from glory to glory. And sometimes I'm in between one glory and the next glory. But it doesn't matter. Because whether I'm in a glory or whether I'm in a valley, I'm going to keep walking the same way. I walk with God. Now, we are Pentecostal charismatic believers in Jesus Christ who expect the Holy Spirit to manifest himself when we come together. We believe for the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. But the thing you need to understand is that the gifts of the Spirit are primarily for the gathering, which means that the gifts of the Spirit happen sporadically as we come together. But the fruit of the Spirit is permanent. And most believers don't know how to eat of the fruit of the Spirit, but they know how to cry for the gifts of the Spirit. We come to church saying, God, give me a word of prophecy today or heal me of something today. But we don't know how to go home and say, now, Lord, give me the fruit of patience and kindness to eat right now. See, I used to see the fruit of the Spirit as something that we bear. But now I see the fruit of the Spirit as something that the Holy Spirit bears. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Benjamin. And that means that even when I feel angry, I can come to the Holy Spirit and he's, he's still bearing the fruit of kindness. And I say, Holy Spirit, I'm angry. And he says, well, good, because I'm kind. Now, here, eat this fruit of kindness. Because, see, I'm not angry. And the problem is we tend to eat the fruit of the flesh and not the fruit of the Spirit. But God wants to teach us how to come to him to receive the fruit of the Spirit so that we can learn how to eat it how to consume it, and that means that we must walk with God on a daily basis. Now, there's two things that God said he's purging from our midst. The first he said he's washing away filth, and the second thing he said he's purging away blood. He's washing away filth, and he's purging away blood. What does filth stand for? What I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking in this day and in this hour to the church, first and foremost to living hope in our context, but secondly to the worldwide body of Christ, is that he is washing away from his church the filth of sexual immorality. He is washing away from his church the filth of sexual immorality. Now let me define sexual immorality for you. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual experience by yourself or with another person that God does not approve of. That's it. If God doesn't like it, it means if God does not enjoy it with you, it is immoral. And I can enjoy even my wife in a way that God does not enjoy with me. And it is immoral. I am mistreating her. But if God can enter into it with me and say, this is good. This is what I created you for. This is what I had in mind when I gave you the gift of male and female, of man and wife. That is not immoral anymore. That is holy and that is pure. The scripture says that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Interesting enough that it says should, not the marriage bed is undefiled, meaning whatever you do goes there is fine, it's undefiled. No, the marriage bed should be kept pure, meaning that there is a difference between purity and impurity in the marriage bed, but we must be jealous to keep it pure. But the Lord says that he's going to wash away the filth of the women of Zion. What does this mean? It means that God is getting ready to do by his own power what we are not able to do by our power. I believe that a move of the Spirit of God is coming that's going to sweep over this house over the next 21 days. We're going to see it manifest before this 21 days ends. And as that Spirit of God sweeps over this house, we're going to find God washing from minds and hearts and bodies that which could not be removed by personal discipline or resolve. He's going to do it by the power of his Holy Spirit. And God showed me that there's a revival coming, a move of the Spirit, a worldwide move of the Spirit that's not going to be marked by laughing or barking, but it's going to be marked by holiness and by purity and by righteousness. And what God says is that he's getting ready to, to heal sexual deficiencies. He's getting ready to heal identity confusion. He's getting ready to heal every sexual malady. And he's going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there was a day in the book of Acts when Peter was walking through the streets and there was such an anointing for healing that they brought the sick and afflicted into the streets that at least the shadow of Peter would fall on them. And the scripture says they were all healed. The day is coming when those who have sexual maladies of any kind will flock to the house of God because God is pouring out his grace in such a way that he will bring healing and he will bring restoration and he will bring purity and he will bring freedom and he will do it by his power and for his glory and for his glory alone. (coughs) Excuse me. And so God says, He's going to wash away the filth, and the filth represents sexual immorality. But then he says he's going to purge away the blood, and the blood represents relational discord. The blood represents anger, malice. It represents lack of patience, anything that would cause a rift to come between brother and brother, sister and sister, brother and sister, mother and father, father and son, father and daughter, mother and daughter, daughter and mother. God is going to heal anger. He is going to heal malice. He is going to heal rage. He is going to heal uh, hatred. Because there's a place in many hearts, even in this house right now, where you get angry and you begin to cuss people out in your mind, even and you think it's okay because your mouth never spoke it. But in your mind, you cuss them out with the worst cuss words you could possibly think of. You sometimes you find yourself imagining yourself killing somebody or doing them physical harm, and you get lost in this fantasy, this violent fantasy. And I I think if if we would put all our thoughts on this screen right here, you'd be shocked at the the cute little people that have that in their mind. I'm like, you? No way. You look like you just love everybody. You're a mass murderer in your mind. You say, well, what's the problem? It's just in my mind. That's the, that, I'll tell you what, that is the great problem because that's where God dwells with you. And that's what God, God, listen, God must entertain this foolishness on a daily basis. He's got to see it. And he's, he's sitting there looking, he's watching the computer screen. Think of the, your mind is God's TV. Every morning he wakes up and turns on the TV. He said, I got to watch this foolishness again. God said, I don't want to see any more killing, no more sex, and I don't want to hear no more profanity. Come on, somebody. And so God can't just wash away the filth. He's got to purge away the blood. He's got to purge away that blood. Why? Because Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're a murderer. Just as if you looked at a woman to lust after her, you're an adulterer. Yeah. If you're angry at your brother without a cause, you're a murderer. And some of you think, well, I got a cause. Well, let me tell you something about your cause. Your cause was nailed to a bloody, rugged cross 2,000 years ago. Because God has cause to be angry with you and me, but Jesus says, thank you, Father, I'll take that cause. And he bore it on his body on the cross. And when the Father looks at the blood of his Son, he says, I got no more cause to be angry with you. And you and I need to look at the blood of his Son and say, even to those who have offended us, I have no controversy with you. Because the cause I had was nailed to the cross. And the punishment I owed you was, was put on him. Come on, somebody. But some of you are saying, I've been battling anger and malice and rage in my heart since I was a little child, and I just don't know how to break it. Well, I got good news for you. I proclaim the good news that God is getting ready to do by his power what you could not do by your power in a lifetime. And so there's two ways that God is going to do this. He's going to do it in a moment, and he's going to do it over a lifetime. That is, he's going to do it in a meeting. And he's going to do it during the walk. Some stuff God says, I'll do it in the meeting when you gather together. And other stuff God says, I'll only do this during the walk. You've got to walk with me when you leave the meeting. That is, we have to have more than just a crisis-oriented relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A crisis-oriented relationship with God means I simply come to church, fall out at the altar, and I've done it. Come to church and speak a few tongues. Right? And I've got it. And listen, I want you to do more of that. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to do more of that. 
I believe the day is going to come when the Holy Spirit falls so powerfully in our meetings that people walk in the door and fall on their face and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe God's going to intensify that. But the difference is that we're not going to walk out of the meeting and out of his presence. But we're going to learn how to walk with him all week long. And so God says, I'm going to wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion. I'm going to purge away the blood of Jerusalem from her midst. I'm going to do it by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Verse 5. Then, after that, the result of that is the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. You hear that? He says, after that, after I've purged away all of the blood, washed away all of the filth, then I'm going to create over every dwelling place in Mount Zion, over every dwelling place and over her assemblies, a cloud of smoke by day and a flaming fire by night. Now, if you go back into the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, as Moses brings the people of Israel out of Egypt, what happened? God appears before them, right? And how does God appear before them as they enter into the desert? As a cloud of smoke by day. And as a flaming fire by night. God was with Israel for 40 years through the wilderness. Every single day they woke up and whoosh, there's the cloud of God's glory by day. They called it in the intertestamental period the Shekinah. The Shekinah. We say Shekinah glory. The Shekinah. The glory of the Lord. It was a cloud by day. It was a fire by night. And there were three functions of God's presence that manifested in this way. The first function was protection. The cloud protected them from heat stroke from the sun in the wilderness. The fire protected them from the cold at night. The fire kept them warm. The cloud kept them cool. But not only that, when Pharaoh's army came to press them into the Red Sea... The fire went and stood between the the army of Pharaoh and the people of Israel so that the fire of God became a wall of protection that shielded them from the power of the enemy. And then the glory of God came as a breath that blew the waters of the Red Sea apart. And so first, protection. Secondly, provision. When they did not have any food in the desert, the cloud provided bread that just rained out of heaven. When they did not have any water to drink, the the cloud caused water to spring forth from a rock. That is, the glory of God that went with them protected them and provided for them. And the third function was guidance. Because the cloud and fire of God's glory would rest over the tabernacle in the wilderness. And they would simply wake up in the morning and look at the cloud. Where is the cloud? If the cloud is moving, they would pick up the tent pegs and follow the cloud. And that's what moved them through the wilderness was following the cloud. Wherever the glory of the Lord goes, that's where I'm going. If he goes that way, that means our provision is that way. That means our protection is that way. And so the glory of the Lord provided protection, provision, and guidance. But it was always and only over the whole assembly. But here it says, I'm going to create a cloud and a fire over every individual dwelling. Did you see that? Over every individual, can you imagine coming out of your tent one morning in the wilderness and there's a little cloud over every single tent? And at nighttime you come out and there's a little cloud, there's a little fire over every single tent. Do you hear what God is saying here? He said it's not just for the assembly, it's for your household. What the prophet is saying is God is taking you to the point where you no longer only experience the cloud and the fire when you come into the house of God, but now you're going to take that cloud and that fire home with you. He wants the cloud over your house. He wants the fire over your house. And that means that you must learn to meet with God and walk with God, not only when you come into the house of the Lord, but when you go home. It's about a daily walk. A daily walk. Walking with God. Okay, now I want to give you a threefold strategy for cultivating a daily walk with God that is both a cloud and a fire. A threefold strategy. I call it pick, pop, catch. Pick, pop, catch. It's a corn metaphor. First, you've got to pick the corn, then, you've got to pop the corn, 
then you got to catch the corn. So how do you pick the corn? I looked up in the internet, there's these corn combines that pull the ears of corn off the stalks. And these things they have, sometimes they'll grab six stalks at a time and strip it from the bottom up and gather all the stalks of corn into the truck. It's crazy. It's like, look at that, that's awesome, just picking all the corn. And they'll go through a field with that machine and they'll just pick all the corn and take it and just store it in the barn. Just pick the corn and store it. We'll figure out what to do with it later. Pick the corn and store it. We don't have to examine each individual stalk of corn. Just pick the corn and store it in mass quantities. We're not trying to do one ear at a time. We're not going through inspecting it. We're not coming up with a plan of what to do with it. You'll always find something to do with it. It doesn't matter how much you get. Just keep pulling in more. You've got to pick the corn before you can pop the corn. Just gather it into your barn. And some of it you're going to pop immediately, but others you're going to pop later and some you're not going to pop till years and years down the road. You just keep gathering the corn. And when I'm talking about picking the corn, I'm talking about simply gathering the words of Scripture. Listen, the field is white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. Meaning the word of God is so close to you, so near to you, it is right there. You've got 15 translations of it in your own home. How many ever had that, that big, humongous, white King James Version on your coffee table? Woo! My, my great aunt had one of those, and she used to read from it every day. Pick up that big old thing. Bam! Genesis 1, right? Big old letters like that big, six-inch you know, six characters. I mean, that was a big old thing. Listen, and if you don't have a Bible, get on the Internet and go to BibleGateway.com. You know what? That's become my Bible on my iPad, and I can have... Ten tabs open to ten different verses of Scripture at the same time. It's, it's ripe for the picking. It's ripe for the picking. And so when we're talking about picking it, I'm talking about just gathering it into your barn. What does that mean? Just read it. Just read it. Just take it in. Do you know if you read three and a half chapters of Scripture a day, you'll read through the whole Bible in a year? You read seven chapters a day, you'll read through the whole Bible every six months, twice a year. You read 14 chapters a day, every three months, you'll finish the whole Bible. Over and over and over again. You need a daily habit of simply gathering the corn into your barn. Just bring it in. You don't have to stop to look up 15 different verses. You don't have to stop to look it up in the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic. You don't have to stop. Listen, a lot of people are trying to do these deep Bible studies in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, but have never read the whole Bible cover to cover before. That's like, you know, in your first day of basic anatomy class, you're, doing, you're examining molecules from the arm, but you don't even know what the whole body looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to study the whole body so that you understand it in context when you're finally looking at molecules in the arm. And the Greek, and a lot, of people, a lot of people feel like, well, I don't understand it. That's why I don't read it. No, forget that. Listen, I started reading the Bible when I was like seven years old. You know, first I had the picture Bible. You know, when I was like five, my great aunt bought me one, and I just read that thing like it was a comic book. It was so fun. It was so much fun. I read that thing through and through and through and through over and over again. Why? Because I used to go to her house every day, and that's all she would let me do. <coughs> I'd be like, can't I watch TV? No, get out your picture Bible. And so I would get out that picture Bible, and I would just read and read. And once I'd get in there, I had a blast with it. And I learned the story of the Bible. And then when I was like seven or eight, they said, okay, now you, you need a real Bible. And they gave me a little King James version at like eight years old. Now, how, you know, I'm 37. I still don't understand the King James Version in some places. But, you know, did that stop me? No. I just read it. They said, read it. So I read it. And I just kept reading it, underlining stuff I didn't even understand what I was underlining. Like, Ooh, that sounds good. I'm going to underline that. I remember going back through and be like, I underlined that? Why? I don't, I don't even know what it means. I didn't even understand it. But don't you realize, listen, as I started gathering that word into my heart, as I got older, all of a sudden my understanding began to catch up yeah. with what had been deposited. It was still there. I didn't know what it meant. But later, I started reading other versions. I was like, that's what that meant. But it was already there. It was already there, so gather it, gather it. Well, I was reading 1 Corinthians 13, and it said, Love vaunteth not itself. Does anybody know what that means? How many here are vaunteting themselves? I don't know what that means, but I, I memorized it. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, is not easily provoked, 
thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And you know what? I, I got so much to that stuff. I had some places where I even had some really bad interpretations of what it meant. Like stuff where I thought it meant something. I'm like, that's strange, but God said it, okay. And then later I'd, I'd realize that's not what it meant. So, oh, praise the Lord. But it doesn't matter because I'm just gathering it in, gathering it in, gathering it in. See, this is the thing. So many believers, we have misdefined prayer for so, for so long. Get this in your heart. Prayer is not simply saying to God whatever you feel like saying. People say, oh, just talk to God like you talk to a friend. And just tell him whatever is in your heart. Let me tell you something. You could spend a whole day doing that. You could spend a whole month doing that and not make any spiritual progress. I wonder why nothing's changing in my heart. I'll tell you why. Because you are boring God to tears. <laughs> You know what real prayer is? Prayer is not when you share with God what's in your heart. Prayer is when you share with God what's in his heart. Because prayer is rightly the process by which what is in God's heart and what is in your heart becomes the same. He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I don't need your thoughts. You need mine. My ways are higher than your ways. I don't need your ways. You need mine. But we spend so much of our time going, oh, God. I'm really frustrated right now, and I'm having a tough time at my job. And God is sitting there going, you're contradicting everything I've said in my word, and you're calling that prayer. That foolishness is not prayer. Yes, you can tell God what's going on in your heart, but then, then go back to his word. And that's what David did. If you read, like, Psalm 22, he says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what he's going through, right? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing the words of my groaning? I cry out by day, but you're not there. By night to no avail. But then he flips it and starts speaking God's word back to him. But you are the Holy One. The one who is enthroned in the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. You see, yes, you can tell God what's in your heart. But don't go two sentences into what's in your heart without reverting back to what's in God's heart. And beginning to speak God's word back to him. So once you've picked the corn, see, the thing is, and you go, you, a lot of believers are saying, God, speak to me. But you're, having, you're not even reading what he said. Yeah. If you don't read scripture, God has nothing to say to you. Because you don't care about what he already said. You just want him to talk to you about the light bill and the rent and your job. But he's talking to you about eternal things yeah. that apply to the light bill and the rent and the job. Yes. But you've got to start with the eternal and let him apply it to the temporal instead of starting with the temporal and ending with the temporal. All I want is God to tell me how I'm going to make an extra $100 next month. Come on, somebody. So pick the corn, but then you've got to pop the corn. So once I've gathered, 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 then I go into the presence of God. I begin to worship. I just begin to worship. I begin to worship. I begin to tell God who he is. God, I worship you. God, I love you. God, I thank you. God, I bless your holy name. Praises are awaiting you, O God, in Zion. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And in that place where I'm worshiping, the heat of God's presence comes. And what happens when you take popcorn into the heat? You stick it in the microwave, you turn on the heat, and what happens? Pop, 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 pop. All of a sudden, as I'm worshiping God, the corn starts to pop. And suddenly, a scripture pops into my mind. Just a phrase of scripture just pops into my mind. During worship today, all of a sudden that, that scripture popped into my mind while Sam was leading us in worship that said, if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence before God. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. But if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask. And that verse came, and I grabbed my phone, and I looked it up, and there it was in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. And it said, if our hearts condemn us, this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence and know that we are of the truth. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and that he knows all things. But if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we do what he commands. And this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. What a powerful passage of scripture. You know what happened? Pop. I'm in the presence of God. I'm worshiping. The spirit of God is moving among us. And all of a sudden, pop. Pop, pop, and then Romans 8 popped into my heart while Sam was leading worship. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For, 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh to become a sin offering so that to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law for those of us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. What I'm saying is, and then so what, what happens is when you come into the heat of God's presence, see this is the thing, when you were reading it, you didn't feel nothing. See, so many people stop that pick mechanism because it, it, I don't feel anything. It doesn't feel like anything's happening. I'm reading, and I don't feel anything while I'm reading. I'm just gathering, gathering, gathering. But I've just got all this corn sitting in my barn, not doing anything. I'm just reading. You never feel like anything's happening. Most of the time, you don't feel like anything's happening when you're reading. Once in a while, you'll open up the Bible, and all of a sudden, the wind will blow, and the oil will, will fall, and the... <laughs> And all of a sudden, you just feel God speaking to, through you to the pages. You know, you have those moments once in a while. Most of the time, you're just gathering. You're gathering. But what I find is that what I gather today, I go into God's presence, and he heats it up tomorrow or next week. And all of a sudden, pop, pop. But now you've got to catch it. Now you've got to catch it. What does that mean? You've got to write it down. See, this is the thing. If you're not writing down the things that God is sharing with you from his word, then you're going to feel like God does not speak to you. And you're going to look back and feel like I haven't heard from God in the longest time. But no, he's speaking to you each and every day. And this is my wife's strength. Like my wife, she is stronger at this than anybody I've ever known. She never has a time with God in which she does not come out of it with some stuff written down that God said to her. Every single day she comes out, this is what God said. And when she comes home from all night prayer, I can't wait to hear what God said. Because she simply believes that it is impossible for her to go into the presence of God and not come out with a word. She said, God will not send me away empty. God will not say, okay, well, it was nice having you in my presence, but I ain't got no word for you. Maybe next time. Running kind of low. You know, I got so many people to talk to in the earth, and, you know. God has a surplus of divine words. And so what happens is, is you begin to write it down. You begin to write it down. Write down those scriptures that God gives you. Yeah. Write down the revelation that he gives you about those scriptures. Yeah. He'll, I mean, if, what, I'll, what I'll do is I'll have a time of prayer and worship, and I'll worship. Pop, I'll write it down. And keep worshiping, and then God gives me something about it, and I'll write it down. And keep worshiping, pop, another scripture comes, and I'll write it down. Keep worshiping and praying, pop, something about it comes. And all of a sudden, I'm developing a personal repository of revelation. Yeah. God wants to help you build a personal repository of revelation. And through this daily walking with God, daily hearing his voice, daily reading his word, daily meditating on what he says, daily, 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 in between meetings. What if you left the meeting today and did this every day till next Sunday? All of a sudden you find that the cloud and fire follows you home. And instead of saying, man, last Sunday was powerful, you say, man, last Sunday was powerful. But you know what? Monday was powerful, too. Yeah. And you know what? Tuesday was even more powerful. And Wednesday was so powerful because I was rejoicing in what God said to me Tuesday and Monday. And then he spoke more to me on top of that on Wednesday. And then Thursday was even more powerful. You know what will happen when you come back to church next Sunday? You'll bring a bigger cloud with you than followed you home last Sunday. And all of a sudden, see, what most believers do is we we leave with the cloud, but it dissipates by Tuesday. (laughs) And that cloud of protection becomes a storm cloud. And you come in just getting struck by lightning and rain (laughs) the next Sunday. It's all beaten up. God wants to teach us how to live under the cloud of glory, how to live under his protection, how to live under his provision, and how to live under his guidance. Pick, pop, catch. The last thing I'll say, that's what I call the simple three. This is my system for for spiritual development, the simple three, but there's also the big seven. The big seven and the simple three. I'm going to write a book on this soon. The big seven are the seven great revelations of God which consists of the three great truths and the four great works. The three great truths are who God is in himself, who God is in us, and who we are in God. 
we find these three great truths in the, in the Lord's Prayer. I used to think the Lord's Prayer was a baby prayer. It's just for, you know, children. You say it before you go to sleep. But Jesus taught this to his disciples, fully mature. He didn't mean for them to recite it. He meant it to be a GPS system, a navigation system for their spiritual lives. How does this start? With who God is in himself. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's who God is in himself. Then it moves on to who God is in us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then it moves to who we are in God. Give us this day our daily bread. You see that? It moves from heaven, God in heaven, to God on earth, to us on earth. You see? And that is how every prayer session you spend should go. It should follow that trajectory. Starting with who God is in himself. And that's called worship. When you're saying, God, hallowed be your name, you're worshiping. I'm not asking him for anything. I'm not asking him to do anything. I'm not trying to receive anything. I'm just reminding him of who he is and reminding myself of who he is. And then I move to petition. Let your kingdom come. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And then I move to declaration. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Thank you that you have given me the daily bread. That is, and then the four great works of God. I'm going to close this up real quick. Four great works of God is, is restoration, first freedom, fullness, restoration, and release. Freedom, fullness, restoration, and release. God sets us free. And then God fills us. And then God restores us. And then God releases us. He sets us free from sin and deception. And then he fills us with his spirit, power, and love. And then he restores us by healing our broken hearts and binding up our wounds. And then he releases us to be fruitful. And so I take that big, se that big seven. I know I'll explain it later in more detail. But I'll take the, great, the big seven and I'll take the simple three, pick, pop, catch. And you put them together and now you have a recipe for walking with God in deeper and deeper ways each and every day. Let me tell you what God's going to do. We're going to see a cloud and a flame of fire over this assembly when we gather to pray every night. But that cloud is going home with you. And that fire is going home with you. Now, why do I encourage you to come every night? Because you need to develop the discipline of going into the heat of God's presence every day. Now, how do you make the most of this time, these 21 days? You've got to pick in the morning. Because when you come here from 7 to 8.30, you're going to pop and you're going to catch. We're going to worship and we're going to pray, which means we're going into the heat of God's presence. But if you haven't picked... If you haven't gathered into your barn, there's not going to be much to pop and catch when you come into the house of God in the evening services. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you. Number one, if you can't come to this physical building, turn on the live stream and pray with us every night. Yeah. It's just 21 days. And then number two, spend some time reading the Bible. I listen to it now. I, have a, I just recently bought an audio book so I can listen to the Bible every day. Listen to it and get it in your spirit. Gather it. Pick it, pop it, and then catch it. And you're going to see 21 days from now, if you do this every day, your entire life is going to be different. Yeah, yeah. You believe that? Yeah. All right, stand to your feet. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I speak your blessing over this gathering today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless your people with peace. with joy. Lord, I pray that you would send a spirit of judgment right now. Not to judge as in condemn, but to judge as in separate. There's some of us in this place right now that lack understanding because we haven't even identified the darkness as such. Lord, you said that the day would come when men would call light darkness and darkness light. And we're living in a day and age in a culture in which men are calling darkness light and light darkness. Men are calling out all kinds of sin and saying, this is okay. But then calling out those that would say it's wrong and saying, oh, that's intolerant. The light is being called darkness. and The darkness is being called light. Evil is being called good, and good is being called evil. But Father, I pray right now that even as you separated the light from the darkness on the first day of creation, that you would separate the light from the darkness in our hearts. Separate it.
Send a spirit of judgment right now. Send a spirit of judgment. Put your finger on it and say, this has got to go. This has got to go. No more. I pray that we would hear testimonies over the next 21 days of individuals that would say, nobody told me it was wrong, but the Holy Spirit told me it was wrong. Nobody held me accountable. The Holy Spirit held me accountable. And second, Father, send a spirit of burning. Burn it away. Burn it away. Burn it away. Lord, I pray that you would burn up our will so that it exists no more, so that it's overtaken by your will. Your will be done. Your will be done. And I pray, Father, that we would begin to see that cloud. We'd begin to see that fire over every dwelling and over every assembly. I prayed in Jesus' name. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, just, you can put your hands down for just a moment. I want to ask, is there anybody here who'd say, I need to begin my walk with Christ? Yeah. As I said at the beginning of this message, you can't purge yourself. You can't cleanse yourself. The only question is, are you willing? And even if you're not willing in certain areas, are you willing to be made willing? And I just hear the Lord saying that if you're willing to begin walking with him, he's willing to begin walking with you. And I want you to know that if you're willing to begin walking with us, we're willing to begin walking with you wherever you are. The love of Jesus Christ is reaching for you today. If you're here today, and you say, I'm ready to begin that journey. Lift your hand right now. I want to pray for you today. If you're here. Is there one? I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we give you glory. Everyone just begin to worship the Lord right now. Father, we worship you. Father, I thank you for that hand that was lifted. It was a powerful step. Just the lifting of that hand. It was a heart that's lifted up to heaven, not just on the earth. And God, I pray that you would come upon that person right now. Strength, resolve. But more than that, the deep, deep love of Jesus may it overflow their hearts may it overflow their mind. And Lord, I speak over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for strength and encouragement. I pray, Father, that over the next 21 days, we would begin to see the wind blow and the fire fall. And I say by the Spirit that there is a sound of an abundance of rain. There is a sound of an abundance of rain. God, we pray for the downpour. We pray for the downpour of your spirit today, O oh God. Let it sweep over this land from the north to the south, to the east and to the west. We give you glory for it. And let there not be one house that doesn't have a cloud and a fire. Let there not be one household without a cloud and a fire. I give you glory for it.